You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. Hi, this is Tim Robertson. This is show number 233 of the MyMac.com podcast. This week, we're going to be talking to Rick Kalman. He's a product manager at FileMaker. We're going to be talking about FileMaker Pro 10, brand new version. Also, John Nemo is going to join us and talk to me and David Cohen about a new verbatim keyboard. And finally, we're going to talk about migrating to a new Mac with Guy Searle and Owen Rubin. Thanks for downloading the show. Enjoy. And thanks for downloading the 233rd weekly edition of the MyMac.com podcast. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the show, and I'm joined by David Cohen from the UK. Hello, David Cohen. Good evening, all. You know, last week's show, I said that you probably weren't going to be here, and uh, here you are. Absolutely. You know, it was my fault that you weren't on last week's show. Of course, our topics were iPhone 3.0 software coming out. Uh, we had a, a, a short segment on the system profiler because I think that's an application that most new Mac users don't know about, and it's very important for them to know about it. And yeah. we also talked about the iPod Shuffle, which mm-hmm. I, I really want to like, and I just I don't get it. <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't get I, it. My, my opinion on the Shuffle is I th- I think it's one of those products you have to grab hold of. Um, I was a bit undecided till I got a chance to play with one. Um, I got to try one the other day, and uh, I actually came away thinking I, I, I really quite like it. Really? So, uh, but uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's one of those things you probably need to grab hold of and and try before you can really decide that. Yeah, so. and and I said that on the show that I have yet to get my hands on one, and I probably will eventually. I have no need for an iPod Shuffle, not with no. you know the three iPods that I already have plus my iPhone. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I I look at it like it's form over function, and. I know Steve I Jobs think, doesn't like buttons, but I think this is getting a little ridiculous. Yeah, but what I, what I would say is is the way the way they've implemented it, and this is very subtle, but actually, you know, when you read the read about this this timing thing with buttons and everything on the remote, you think that that's really getting me awful. But the way they've done it, it's they've obviously put a lot of effort into that timing and and how those clicks work, and it actually kind of just seem just seems to work and, and it's pretty intuitive seems to be, it's more intuitive than it than it looks like when you read it on paper well i'm gonna um, have to play but, with one I, I need to get my hands on one um somebody else that probably wants to get their hands on one if they haven't already is owen rubin hello owen <laughs> good evening how are you I'm this sorry, week that that button is like the bmw i drive like you know, push it twice followed by three delays and wait a second before you press it. I Sorry, I think that's just bad. I do too. But, again, I haven't played with one, so I'm going to kind of reserve judgment until I have, and then I can rip it a new one, right? I would just, <laughs> I'd end up sitting on it or stepping on it. I know. It's just too small. It is. We haven't had you on the show for a while, Owen. Uh, I thought it would a, a good week to get you back on. and uh, Thank you. Obviously, we want to get you on more often. I just got to stop writing so much. I I, I volunteered for too many products at this year's Macworld. Yeah, that it can get dangerous that way sometimes, can it? Oh, the, well, I, we had some friends over for uh, my birthday this weekend, and they look at this big stack of products sitting in next to the television, and we're like, like, wow, you got a lot of presents. Like, no. <laughs> you know, at the Macworld Expo this week, guys, uh, one of the companies that were that was there that was giving away copies of the product to the press was FileMaker Pro. And I almost grabbed one just to have the boxed copy, but here's the thing. FileMaker Pro 10 came out like, I don't know, a week or two 
before the event actually happened, and I downloaded it, so I already have it. We're joined by Rick Hellman. He is, what are you over there at FileMaker, Rick? I am the senior product manager for desktop products, which means I'm responsible for FileMaker Pro and FileMaker Pro Advanced. So, I don't know. Why do I need a new version of FileMaker, Rick? I know, but you know, I'm giving you this opening shot here. <laughs> why, why, as a FileMaker guy myself, uh, and it seems like I just got FileMaker 9. It really does. And I, I was just starting to get used to FileMaker 9 and the changes when 10 comes out. Why do I need to upgrade? What's really cool about this new product? Well, uh, of course, the most obvious thing um, you will notice in FileMaker Pro 10 is we have made the most dramatic design change to the product uh, in well over a decade and in reality uh, ever. If you're familiar with FileMaker Pro, one of the things you've been familiar with is that 69-pixel vertical on the left side uh, status area. Yep. Uh, we have uh, introduced uh, a fresh new interface. Uh, it is called uh, what we refer to as a status toolbar. If you're familiar with a web browser, if you're familiar with any of the iWork or iLife apps, it's very uh, will be very familiar looking uh, uh, to you. Uh, and so we've made a, a lot of change. So. For a new user who's never used FileMaker, it's just going to look like something that belongs in this century, and it's going to look familiar, which is, is a plus. But actually, it allowed us to do a number of things. We had been so long restricted to those 69 pixels, uh, and over the years, we've added a lot of capability and functionality into product to the point where we actually have customers requesting features that already exist. So going out <laughs> horizontal across the top, actually allowed us to um, surface uh, for uh, what I like to call this, uh, this discoverability of capability, especially for a new user trying to figure out how to add a new record or how to find something, uh, and everything was up under the hierarchical menus. Um, so we were able to surface those things to help sort of the new user get started. Um, luckily, as we were working on FileMaker 10, we could watch what was happening with uh, uh, the Office 2007 suite with the ribbon uh, and saw the things we liked and the things we didn't like, yeah. and they blew away the hierarchical menus, and you didn't know how to use the product anymore. Uh, so we decided, you know, hey, you know, we'll add the new toolbar, but uh, we're not going to go crazy. We will leave all the hierarchical menus there. You still know how to use the product. All the shortcut keys are there. Surface down those features. The other thing that we did is we spent an awful lot of care. We met with the most advanced FileMaker developers um, that we have in the world. We did a lot of formal usability and informal usability tests. And we brought down into the interface uh, those tasks that you most commonly use in FileMaker in the modes you're doing. When you're working with your data, when you're designing the database, when you're trying to find data. And we brought those down to the interface so that they're ready at hand uh, right there. So, And on top of that, it's fully customizable, as you would expect any modern um, uh, uh, toolbar in an app, Apple application, a Mac application. Uh, so that's that's the big uh, uh, thing that will jump out at you. There's an awful lot more in Pomodoro uh, 10 that hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll talk about as well. But that's that's the one that jumps out uh, at you immediately. Uh, I don't know how – I don't know if I'm going to be able to use this without going over to the left-hand side to click the next record. That's what I was thinking. You know, <laughs> I, that's been there since what? Version 2? Version – I don't think it was in the first one. I think of that, that – the little – what do you call it? The uh, – 
the status area. Yeah, well, the, the little Rolodex type of looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the book, the yeah. Rolodex. It's it's been a number of things. Uh, you will notice, however, in the top left corner, it's still we there. Still have something that looks like a book. We decided we actually thought about getting rid of it and said, you know, it's it's it may change its looks over the years and become stylized, but we're always going to have that book, that Rolodex, something so that you can look at it and go, yeah, that's FileMaker. Yeah, and you could tell real quickly by looking at it whether you're at the first or the last record. Right. And I, I'm just so used to that being over there that if, if you would have taken that away, I would have been upset. It's my little buddy over there, and you can't mess with it too much. <laughs> but for the most part, if you're used to FileMaker, this isn't going to be such a radical change that you're going to have to take classes to learn it, correct? No. Actually, um, it's really interesting. Um, people initially see it, and of course, you know, people especially who have used the product, uh, FileMaker has been around for a while. Yep. We have been uh, on the Mac desktop since they went gooey back in, in uh, 84. When, at, when the new Mac came out, we were there in early 85. And, uh, you know, there's a lot. We've got millions of people that use FileMaker Pro. And, um, you know, it's, there's, um, there's a, uh, a lot of familiarity with the product. However, you know what all of this stuff is. Uh, we've put tool tips, which we didn't even have in the product before. So remember, uh, you went into design mode. It was like objection to hieroglyphics. There was all right. these things there that you didn't know what they were. Uh, so uh, it's really, uh, I think, a familiar interface. It doesn't take that long uh, for an existing user to uh, become familiar with it. You spend a lot of time looking at how far your eye has to move and how far your mouse and your hand has to move to put the things that where they naturally flow. Uh, so we've been pretty happy uh, to hear about users who've used FileMaker for quite a long time who said, you know, at first I was thought, you know, this is crazy, uh, but I really like this. In fact, there's so many things that are just convenient now. Um, I, so that's pretty, that's pretty gratifying. I remember developing stuff on FileMaker, and one of the capabilities that most of the users wanted was to be able to email stuff right out of FileMaker. And, of course, without a third-party plugin, we just couldn't do it. I understand the the new version 10.0 has SMTP emailing built right in. Yeah, we have had you know, the capability of e emailing the product for a while. Uh, initially through uh, scripting, and then back in FileMaker eight days, uh, we added a very convenient send mail right out of the file menu um, to be able to use a uh, email client such as Apple Mail or Entourage and and so on. Um, but in FileMaker ten. We added an additional capability. Of course, you can still use your email client, and, and FileMaker will construct the email and deposit that uh, into your outbox. Uh, but now you can also directly point to your SMTP mail server and send the mail directly out of FileMaker, including if you're using Gmail or Yahoo Mail, you can, of course, use that SMTP server as well. So it's really cool. It really adds a lot more automation to the product. And it's also supported on our server which means now the server can actually, without a robot machine, uh, directly send out emails um, using, uh, back in FileMaker Server 9, we introduced the uh, ability to schedule scripts on server. And this is one of the, script, uh, the scriptable scripts, the scheduled script steps. Uh, so now you can send emails right out of the uh, server as well. Uh, say every night at midnight you want to send off a report to a, a group, uh, you can take care of it in a very automated fashion. You guys really beefed up the reporting in the application as well, correct? 
Yeah, we, we, you know, if you're familiar with FileMaker, we have had uh, reporting capability and the ability to do banded or grouped or sometimes people call them sub-summary reports. Yep. You were only ever able to see those uh, in preview mode, which is read-only mode, and, and most databases do reporting as read-only. Uh, what we did in FileMaker 10 is we untethered that capability out of preview mode, and it's available now in browse mode, so you can still run your reports and see reports, but they're fully interactive. Uh, and so you can continue to edit, uh, search, and add data. We've also accompanying that feature, something called uh, maintain sort order. So uh, as you change data, the report will just automatically configure, and it just makes it far more usable. Uh, we all know uh, people would, you'd run a report, you would, then that information would jump out at you because it's organized. You'd realize that you've got to make an edit. You'd have to go and at the browse mode, find the record, change it, and run the report again. Yep. That's all gone. That's great. In FileMaker. Um, the other thing we did is uh, you can view your report in, in list view, but you can also toggle over very easily now in the interface to table view and still see the report, but we've added some capabilities to be able to slice and dice and add and take away and move around uh, data in table view, still see the report, uh, and really just customize uh, all in browse mode without touching at all the underlying layout. Um, and now there's just a, a lot more versatility in what you can do without having to know how to or have access to uh, design mode in the product. So it's been a pretty popular feature that we've added as well. What's the big difference in the FileMaker 10 server? Because I know quite a few businesses that run server, they're going to ask me when they get around to upgrading, should they upgrade to server? Is it going to break compatibility with uh, the client machines that are still running 9 or 8? So, first of all, uh, FileMaker Pro 10 is uh, the same file format that we've had since FileMaker 7. Uh, you know, we had a big update in FileMaker 7, but that format has lasted through 8, 8, 5, 9, and now 10. So, it uh, it's not going to break anything. It's completely compatible. You can run FileMaker 9 and 10 uh, or any FP7 um, uh, uh, file format in a mixed environment. Uh, and as far as server goes, uh, we've added a lot of additional capabilities. Uh, we uh, moved the ability to import and export data from uh, being on the client side down to the database engine. So now FileMaker Server can also import and export data, and that in conjunction with the script schedules that I talked about earlier uh, that we introduced in Server 9, uh, you can not only can you schedule things like emails, as I mentioned, but you can also schedule things like imports and exports and attach those to emails. Something that people used to have to have robot machines uh, in order to do is now just built into to, uh, FileMaker Server. One of the other things, and sort of a sleeper that not a lot of people uh, realize is there, is something called the PHP Site Assistant. Back in FileMaker Server 8, we introduced uh, the PHP API for FileMaker, excuse me, FileMaker Server 9. Uh, and uh, that's in uh, you know both servers, server and server advanced. We introduced the, the PHP site assistant, and we significantly enhanced that product. And literally, I kid you not, you can take the PHP site assistant that comes built uh, in with uh, FileMaker Server, and you can build a fully functional, very versatile, and very uh, nicely designed uh, website with FileMaker in the back end, using PHP and cascading style sheets uh, to uh, have a dynamic website serving your data out there. And not only that, we've got a new uh, iPhone template that allows you to build a fantastic 
iPhone application to serve out as well over the web. Uh, one of the best iPhone applications I've seen with all of the navigation you would expect and the aids for um, you know jumping to the top of, of pages and, and so on. And that's just built in right out of the box. And it, it's Sweet. a beautiful iPhone app. One of my, uh, I don't want to say problems, but one of the things that really frustrated me when I was a FileMaker developer, and this was in, I believe, FileMaker 8, um, we had two versions running. We had FileMaker Server 10 and FileMaker Server 10 Advanced. Uh, Server 10 was the actual live database. Our mock database, which was the same thing, we just backed it up once an hour. The one that we actually worked on, made changes to before we moved over to the uh, main server, was advanced. Um, if one of us was in server, the other person couldn't be in server. We had to have the advanced, I have multiple users, administrators on the database. Has that changed at all? Uh, so you're talking about essentially the administrative interface to FileMaker Server? Right, that we couldn't have more than one person logged in at one time under server without having server advance. With uh, server advance, we could have multiple people on the same database as an administrator working on the database itself. Oh, I see, I see what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm... Actually, I, I'm not quite clear on what you might. You're talking about the ability to um, modify the scheme of a database that's hosted on server or the ability to actually administer the server? Administer the server. It was on a, a remote machine. Uh, two yeah. of us couldn't get onto the same server and, uh, and do anything at the same time. We'd have to be on yeah. the advanced server to do that. Yeah, there, there's not there's not that sort of advanced server thing. We did in FileMaker Server Nine introduce something called the Universal Admin Council. Actually, um, it's a, a Java a Web Start client that just downloads from the server to your desktop. Uh, yeah, to you, you now remotely administer the server. Um, I'm not the product manager for server, and what I can't answer is I'm not quite sure if that limitation is is still there. Certainly, you have to. Uh, have the administrator credentials to log in, but I'm not sure um, if uh, it's it's just one instance. Uh, um, I, I don't know the answer. To that it, it, it's probably something that's not going to affect 99.9% .9 of the no. people out there. <laughs> so what's the big difference between server and server advanced? So server advanced is the same as FileMaker server except for these differences. One, uh, it supports instant web publishing uh, for up to 100 concurrent clients so that you can take a FileMaker solution and publish it out uh, as a, as a uh, web page, and it looks um, uh, almost exactly like the FileMaker solution that you're working with in FileMaker. It also supports ODBC and JDBC connections, uh, and also uh, FileMaker Server, the base server, um, supports 250 uh, simultaneous users. FileMaker Server Advanced 10 now supports 999, so we, there's a fourfold increase in the number of connections. We found some of our larger installations were actually butting up against just the, the limit of people that could attach to a particular um, uh, FileMaker solution and then having to throw on a second server and, and that sort of thing. So we uh, we uh, radically bumped up the limit. So essentially the, it's a, a capacity uh, and the ability to do things, uh, to access the data uh, via ODBC and JDBC for more enterprise level uh, type thing and also the ability to publish out uh, to 
a number of users uh, the uh, instant web publishing. Most of the people listening to this podcast, if they're FileMaker guys, they're probably not going into the server. What's the difference between the $300 version of uh, FileMaker Pro 10 and the $500 version of FileMaker Pro 10 Advanced? So FileMaker Pro 10 Advanced is really um, created for people who build FileMaker solutions that other people use. That's the tool for them. So what you have in FileMaker Pro Advanced is a script debugger, which, and we haven't even mentioned this yet, but in FileMaker 10, we added script triggers, something our customers have been asking for for quite some time. We've uh, introduced uh, uh, 11 new uh, script triggers in, in the product, and um, FileMaker Server Advanced has something called the script debugger. It's been there for a while, but it's fully aware of um, this new script triggers, which is this really an essential tool as you're building very... Uh, uh, more uh, sophisticated solutions. Uh, and FileMaker has something called the Data Viewer that can help you look at the data that's passing through your solution as you're troubleshooting it. It's got something called the, the Database Design Report that fully documents uh, all of your solution. Uh, it, it has the ability to create a royalty-free runtime. Uh, it also allows you to create your own custom functions and also custom menus, uh, which now work uh, in conjunction with our new status area uh, so if you want to change uh, what a button in the status area does or remove it uh, and, and so on, or trigger even a script from it, then you use FileMaker uh, Pro Advanced to, to do that. So in, in essence, that tool is mostly designed for people who are building solutions that, uh, that for other people who will be using FileMaker to run them. Uh, can you buy FileMaker online now, or does it, you still have to go buy a box? No, you can buy it online. We've had electronic software download for the last couple of releases, so you can go right online uh, and uh, pay online and download it right then and there. You're still running uh, on PowerPC, even back on a G4. I mean, you don't see that, especially from Apple, uh, an Apple product, running still a brand-new version on a PowerPC G4. You guys are still there, at least from, uh, what, 867 megahertz or so? Yeah, we'll we'll run on uh, Tiger OS and we'll run on Leopard. And typically, because we have such an installed base, we have a lot of government and educational customers as well. We typically like to support um, uh, two versions back of the operating system. Uh, uh, so um, we support both the Intel Macs and uh, PowerPC. Uh, but going forward, you know, that's certainly likely to, to change. Uh, uh, Mac users are uh, notorious for updating their operating systems at a much faster pace than, of course, the, the, the Windows users uh, are, especially with, um, you know, the uh, lack of uptake on the, on the Vista side. But uh, um, people that use Macs um, at, at, a, at a pretty good clip are moving forward uh, to the uh, the new OSs, we just get a little bit of lag from uh, large institutions like education and government that, that causes us to want to stay there because people are running business-critical uh, software on there. We don't want to sort of leave them you know, in the lurch. But Absolutely. At the same time, we want people to have new uh, Apple software since we're a wholly owned subsidiary of Apple Computer. Of course, I've seen <laughs> companies still running Fox Pro. So, <laughs> Yes, indeed they are. <laughs> That's kind of sad, actually. Uh, <laughs> so the website is FileMaker.com, of course. His name is Rick Kelman. We really want to thank you for coming on the show this week, filling us in on FileMaker Pro 10. I have it. I've got it installed. Even after it went through 10,000 things installing, I thought, holy smokes, 10,000. What are those 10,000 things it's installing? What is that? I don't know. There's a lot going on. <laughs> You'd be amazed. I saw that 10,000. I'm like, holy smoly. It's hard to make easy. And you know, it, it really doesn't take up all that much hard drive space, really. No, it doesn't. 
Boy, that's some small files, but there's a lot of them. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on the show this week, and uh, we want to uh, invite you back when you have a new version coming out. And we also want to talk to someone at FileMaker soon about Bento. A lot of our users are getting into Bento right now. I know that that's not your product, but it is part of your company, and it's a product that I actually like. Even though I'm a FileMaker guy, I just I can't seem to move to Bento because I, I can't wrap my head around everything in one package. I need related databases. I need it. I need things this this one big thing that holds everything doesn't seem right to me i'm, I'm a file maker guy so yeah it's kind of strange like that but we'll be right back and uh, we're gonna have oh let's see john nemo coming on the show and we got a review coming up thanks rick thank you tim my pleasure forgotten thoughts of yesterday's and we're back, and we want to thank our sponsors this week, Otherworld Computing. Uh, they've been sponsoring this show for, oh, about 10 months now. So, you know, it's one of those companies that uh, you're going to hear a lot about on this show because they mean a lot to us. They are our sponsors. If you're looking for hard drive space, RAM, maybe even a brand new monitor, check them out at MacSales.com. So we're joined by John Nemo. Hello, John Nemo. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back on the show. Thanks for yeah. inviting me. It's been a while since you've been on, uh, I think since Macworld Expo, correct? That's correct. So, and, that and that wonderful Ederol recorder that I was using, the RO9HR, and we thank the Roland Corporation for providing that for our review and our interviews at the Moscone Center. So we got two products that we're talking about here. They're both from the same company. Let's start with you, John. What have you got? I have a very unusual keyboard. I wish this was a video review, but I'll describe it. It's a black keyboard by Verbatim, V-E-R-B-A-T-I-M. That's the company. And it's a keyboard where you press a button, and instead of the keys glowing, like on a, a PowerBook or a MacBook Pro, there's a blue glow that comes from underneath the keys. The entire chassis, the Actually, whole Actually, we have one product. I'm sorry, because I've got the same thing. <laughs> okay. I said two. Okay. I don't know what I was thinking. The entire body of the keyboard is a matte, well, it's kind of a glossy black, actually, and the keys are a grayish white. So if you can just imagine a very, a very large, chubby keyboard, but the remarkable thing about it is not the blue glow, it's the fact that the back of the keyboard above the F function keys has audio. In other words, it has speakers built in. It's an audio keyboard. What do you think about it, John? You've been using it for a while now. I have been using it. As far as its actual keying functions for typing, I would say it's you know fairly middle of the road. It's not remarkably good or remarkably bad. Mm -hmm. If you took away the audio portion, we probably wouldn't be reviewing it. As, as a keyboard for typing, it's you know basically okay. It's in the audio capability that it w really separates itself from any other keyboard that I've ever used. I've never used an audio keyboard in the past. Let me just give you my comments on it. Uh, it's, the volume is quite loud. When you crank it all the way up, it's amazing that this little keyboard can pretty much fill a room, but it does have some distortion at the very highest end. Have you, did you have the same uh, response as far as cranking up the volume? Oh, absolutely. It, it was and, louder than I thought it was going to be. Of course, they're firing directly at you. The angle of the speakers at the back of the keyboard basically fires right at you, so I, you're not going to miss the sound. 
No, you don't miss it at all. And the sound is very sharp. It's very clean. It's very clear at low to middle volumes. I do recommend that you play around with your equalizer if you're listening to music using the keyboard in iTunes. And I've been using the acoustic preset in the equalizer. And if you don't have any idea how to get to the equalizer in iTunes, it's uh, one of the windows that you will find. It's, it's under the window option. Any event, it's a sharp, clear, accurate representation of music. The problem is... Go ahead. Somebody had a question, I think. Uh, it was oh, you, David? No, I was, I was just going to ask, how is it How's it getting the audio of the computer, is it? USB. Three and a half millimeter jack? So, nope. it, so it actually has a USB amplifier built into the keyboard? Yes. Okay. The, the, the USB transmission of sound is really remarkably efficient. I was very impressed yeah. that I could type and do all the other functions and also manage... You know, listen to it via USB. The, the problem is it does not have any USB ports. Right. It's not a USB hub. So if you're listening to this on, on Mark, um, Mark Rudd's uh, MacBook Air, this takes up his lone USB port. Worse than that, so you John, you can't plug your mouse into this keyboard. <laughs> that was right. my problem. Every keyboard should have at least one USB yeah. port so you can plug your mouse into it. The problem with this keyboard is it takes up, for instance, for that MacBook Air, you literally can't use this keyboard unless you're planning on still using your trackpad, at which point, where are you plugging an external fan or uh, keyboard to it anyways? If you use this, you have to have two open USB ports, one for the mouse, one for the keyboard. That's just well, unacceptable. Or you've got to have a Bluetooth mouse. Right. And yeah. I just find that unacceptable. Not to put in an external USB port on a keyboard... In 2008, 2009, it's just not acceptable to me, John. Ironically, on the back of it, I don't know how they get all this through USB. There's both a microphone input, a little pipsqueak mini uh, microphone input, and a headphone output. So you can literally power your headphone and other external speak powered speakers through this. So they're, they're moving a lot of data through USB as far as the audio uh, the audio engineering is concerned, and I don't know anything about this, but it's well. It's USB. It is USB 2.0, which is great. Uh, yeah. You could run. You could run audio through USB 1.1. If you remember back with the original iMac, the Harman Kardon sound sticks, that was a USB uh, speaker right. system, and that that was only USB 1.1. So for this to be USB 2.0, it's it's not that big of a deal. I did run it through my lampshade. Uh, I guess that's a. I don't know if that's a G3 or a G4. I'm not. I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, my last that's a G4. IMAC, and uh, that that worked. It worked just great on that. So sure. now I've got it plugged into my G5. And as far as far as typing is is concerned, it's good. Let me give you my rundown. It has two levels of rear lifters on the back to elevate the back for a more ergonomic typing situation, which I definitely like. It has surprisingly good stereo separation. In certain rooms where you've got light above, it has a, a really annoying glare off the keys. I, I never, ever like a black keyboard with white keys. And the black is glossy enough and the keys are gray enough that in my office here with a skylight right above it, I had to move my head to see the keys even though I'm a touch typist. So I did not like the glare off the keys. It does have a full set of audio controls and it does have a mute button for when the phone rings or when any other reason for that. I like the bluish glow. It's totally pointless, but it does look nice. It's totally pointless for you, John, but for me, um, I, I actually took this 
keyboard off my Mac and put it on my uh, the PC that we have over here, the Dell. My wife's old computer, she doesn't use it at all anymore, and that machine is basically connected to nickjr.com for a five-year-old. And she doesn't know the keyboard yet, John. She she can't oh. type. And this room is generally kept dark. So with the light-up keyboard, she can actually see the keys. That's and, neat. And that is fantastic. Yeah. For it's Quite honestly, John, I know you're not done going through your run-through yet, but the, the light-up keyboard is the only thing about this keyboard that I like. <laughs> that's, that's funny. That's great. And okay, you remember, well, I was excited about this product at the Macworld Expo. When we were at yeah. their booth and I was looking at it, I specifically said, and in fact, this was like the only product during the entire show that I said, I want to review this when I like it. Or I like the idea of it, I should say. I, I, I was really impressed with it. And then I got it here, maybe, what, a uh, couple weeks later? Yeah. And it, number one, it's clunky. It, it, it just doesn't feel like a Mac keyboard. It feels like a cheap PC keyboard. The sound quality is subpar. Even a, a $50 pair of PC speakers sound better than the speakers on this thing. And when you turn on the bass control, it just completely muddles out. Of course, that depends on what the surface is sitting on. If you have, like, a pull-out drawer, it vibrates your drawer. It just sounds horrible. <laughs> um, the keys itself, uh, they have a nice tactile feel at first, but it just sits so high. Even if you don't raise up those dual risers in the back of the keyboard, John, it sits extremely high, higher than it's most chubby. keyboards. It's very it chubby. chubby. Uh, especially if you're going from the very slim almost non-existent Macintosh keyboard that ships with every Mac out there right now, and you go yeah. to this, you feel like you're back in the 80s. I mean, this it feels like you're on an, an IBM IBM typewriter. I mean, it's just huge. Um, the response keys, as far as turning up and down the volume, are mushy, and they don't always respond correctly. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, both on the Mac and the PC, that I'm hitting the volume and it's not turning it down, and then all of a sudden it's completely muted because it's like it caught up with all the button pushes. Um, I just found nothing but problems with this keyboard, John, and I'm not going to do a written review, and I think that um, Verbatim is going to be happy about that because, quite honestly, I would give it maybe a 2 out of 5. It's, it's well, just rating, not a good keyboard. My rating for the keyboard itself, the typing portion and the glow and the interface and the glare and all that other stuff was a 2.5. I like the audio more than you did. I gave the audio a 3.5. In my listening situation, it was more favorable. So I averaged it out at a 3. Hmm. Okay. Okay. We're going well, to... Gonna... Yeah, the thing, the thing to take away from this is try if you can, try before you buy it. See whether it suits you. Absolutely. If, if, if you don't like a, a big, fat keyboard, you're not going to like this keyboard. It does uh, have the number keys on it, which I really do appreciate. Um, it, what it reminds me of is a more robust, cheap Dell keyboard. Now, if anybody's used a Dell in the last five years, you know you get that stupid, black, crappy keyboard that all Dells ship with. They're just, they're really horrible keyboards. Uh, yeah. This feels like that keyboard tacked on to something a little bit more solid. Um, I don't know. I, I really wanted to like this keyboard, John. I do like the fact that you don't have to install software on the Mac or the PC to get mm -hmm. all the functionality out of this keyboard. You don't have to install anything. That's no. a big plus. No, there is no step two on this. No, you plug it in and you're good to go. But without having uh, any way to plug a mouse into it, that that's just unforgivable to me. I just cannot figure out, with everything else they put on here, the ability to plug in headphones, um, the illumination, the sound control, speakers, did not anybody at Verbatim say, maybe we ought to put a USB port in this thing, or better yet, four. Give me four USB ports on this. 
I mean, it, it's a it's a fat keyboard. There's room for a USB or a USB hub in there. Well, why didn't they give that to me? If they would have given me simply a four port USB hub on the back of it, John, yeah, or even on the side, my score would have probably been a three out of five, honestly. But they yeah. they, they took away the functionality that should be there on every keyboard. And they didn't replace it with anything that's invaluable. I don't think it sounds as good as normal um, external desktop speakers. The key illumination, to me, I don't personally need it. I know you don't personally need it. David doesn't need it. But my daughter likes it. I like it for her because it's helping her learn the keyboard a lot quicker in a darkened room. That's the only thing that's going for it for me. The only thing. Well... Uh, it was certainly fun to play with, and I'm keeping it in my office here. And when people come over for lessons, I'm gonna, not going to say anything. I'm just going to have them play with it as a novelty, and I'm going to have the mute button pushed. So I'm going to say, oh, just push that button. I wonder what that does, and I'll have Led Zeppelin or something come <laughs> blasting out. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely surprise people, that's for sure. How much is a keyboard, John? Uh, I think it's $50. I actually don't have that information in front of me. Yeah, I don't either. Um, you think I would have by now, but I don't have it in front of me either. Um, buy now. Let me click that. And, uh, da, 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 da. um, it looks like it ranges from $62 all the way up to $80, depending on where you wow. buy it online. So, uh, in fact, all the way up to $90 if you get it at computershare.com. So don't get it there. Uh, <laughs> the cheapest price, Amazon, $62.93. So that's the price. Yep, that's the price. Um, ah, that's pretty expensive for me for, for what this keyboard is lacking. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm disappointed, John, because I really wanted to like this this keyboard. Um, I like a larger keyboard as opposed to the smaller ones, but this thing is just huge, and it feels cheap and clunky to me. Okay, so we'll just uh, hold it somewhere in the two and a half to three score range out of five, and that will be our MyMac review. And we thank Verbatim for providing two keyboards for our review here. On the MyMac podcast. Yep, make it slimmer and give me USB ports and uh, don't even worry about the speakers next time. Just give me the glowing <laughs> keyboard. I'll be happy. That's all I ask. I'll be I'll be really happy and sell it for fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I should go into business for myself, right? Well, John, we want to thank you for coming on. Anything else that you want to get in there before we wrap up the segment? I've been very pleased with the way Artie Alinikoff, our writer, has been posting. <laughs> articles and reviews lately. I'd just like to welcome back Artie to writing, and we haven't seen much from him since the Macworld Expo, so we just value his writing very much. A couple of weeks ago, we got a review for the HP uh, Color Laser Jet from you, John. That, that looks like a big monster, oh. nice printer. Yes, I had to chain myself to it. When, they, when the moving company came to pick that thing up, I was like <laughs> a pro protester <laughs> at the gates of San Quentin. I tell you, that's... the. Looked very impressed to me. I, I hope that you printed everything that you needed to print for the next year because oh, uh, <laughs> fast printer, really good quality. <clears throat> it's the kind of printer that our uh, listeners, I think, it's a multifunction printer. <clears throat> Losing my voice here. Um, and you also reviewed a uh, portable external hard drive a couple weeks ago as well from uh, G Drive. Yes, the G-Tech, and uh, I can't rate that highly enough. It doesn't come with any written instructions, and the case is a little snug, but for actual day-to-day -day robust use, a 500 gigabyte, uh, three interface, beautifully designed, well engineered external hard drive is a real gem. Cool. Well, we want to thank you for coming on the show this week, John. We got to wrap up this segment. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk about migrating to a Mac. Uh, and we got Guy Searle coming back on for that, as well as Owen Rubin. So uh, I guess we're going to wrap up with John, and we're also going to wrap up with you, David. 
We'll see you guys next week, uh, at least David, and we'll see you. John, let's get you back on the show soon for another review. Thanks a million. Talk to you soon, everybody. And we're up for the final uh, segment of show number 233. We're going to talk about migrating to a Mac. And Owen is joining us and Guy Searle. Hello, Guy Searle. Hey, well, it's my only segment this Haven't, week. haven't seen you since last uh, week. Uh, yeah, well, you get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. So, <laughs> Owen, you were talking about, you have a story about migrating to a Mac. Let's hear it. Oh, I, you know, I, I heard you say migrating Mac. So it wasn't migrating Mac. It was actually migrating from Mac to Mac. But that's kind of what we're talking about. I yeah. do a lot. I do a lot of. I get a lot of calls like John does. He's, he's heard him say where people say, "Oh, I've got an old iMac," and they had one of those old color balls, as I used to call them, yep. the, yeah. the candy color one, and they and they bought a new iMac, and they said, "How come I can't migrate?" Because this was before FireWire, unfortunately. Yeah, so, and you're um, probably still running System Nine. So and, yeah. Well, so what I ended up doing was taking the thing apart, completely apart, putting the hard drive into a FireWire disk drive yep. case. Plugging it into another Mac and it migrated instantly. Yeah, and that's it's the amazing way to do it. how easy it worked and why they don't publish people on how to do that. Well, you know, our, our sponsor, uh, Otherworld Computing, has that Voyager, which kind of looks right. like a little toaster. Well, you could have just dropped it right into that thing. That would have probably it's been the easiest. That. Yeah, Otherworld Computing has like a, a ton of empty FireWire cases that you can drop two and a half and three and a half inch drives into. Exactly. Now they have those com. ones that, that just sit on the counter, like he said, and they, they yeah, look like a dot. Yeah, exactly. I, I I really want to get my hands on one of those. I don't really have a use for one right now, but I, I could see myself using that in the future. So, yeah, guy, I could use it then, yes. So, guy, your son is. Uh, you're looking to get your son a new computer. What's he using right now? Right now, he's using my old G my my old nine thirty three upgraded to a one point four G four tower. Wow! Originally came out in I think two thousand and two. And it's starting really? to it's starting to flake out a little bit, but you know it's it's <laughs> seven years old and it's still running the latest and greatest Mac OS. But yeah, you know, seven years is a long time for any computer, and it, it's really time for him from for me to you know spend a little cash, throw a little cash his way, and get him something new. So you, you know, thinking? my my question is, I, I need you know, he's a he's a freshman in high school. Whatever Mac I get him, I want it to be able to last him throughout at least most of his high school years. Are you thinking a laptop? No. No, I wouldn't suggest a laptop. I would definitely go with an iMac. Um, I'd probably go with a really good 20-inch iMac uh, running probably in the 2.5 and up range. Um, I I know that you're looking at the, the refurbs at Apple quite a bit. Yeah. There's some really good prices up there right now. I think there was one for, what, 1200 bucks, even cheaper? Yeah, they had some. Uh, let me. I got it right here. As a matter of fact, uh, let me. Uh, How convenient. Me, yes. <laughs> I just happen to have this up on my screen when I'm asking next you guys his, what I should next get. To his, next to his eBay auctions. Right? And I do. Okay, wanna... Well, for example, here's a here's a 20 inch refurb 2.4 Core 2 Duo 20 inch 849. You know that's going to be hard to beat. I can't imagine. Buy it. Yeah, that's <laughs> what grades he in right now. He's a freshman. Oh, so he's got last. Yeah, that's more than enough than he's going to need okay. for the next four years. And that and that's with a 128 meg graphics card. Now, if I go to 999, 150 bucks more, I can get him a 2.66 core two duo and a 256 meg card. That's only going to be Mark worth it asking, if he's going to play games. Mark is asking why not a mini. 
Well, because then you got to bring everything else to the table. Yeah, the, the the thing I don't like about the Mini is, you know, you're dealing with something really, really small, especially when you're talking about storage. And the Mini just doesn't really have the horsepower that it should. It, you know, it, it's a 799 for, or I'm sorry, 599 for a 2 gigahertz Core 2 Duo without a screen, without a keyboard, without anything else. And I'm looking at this right here for what? $250, he's got a 20-inch monitor, a much faster processor, a real graphics card, and it, it just seems that like the iMac for a high school student would be a better choice than a Mini. Plus, I, also, I it's going to last longer. It will last longer, I think, yeah. I, I agree with you, and I, and I would say that if... Does he play games on that? Yeah, some. You know, for but 150 it, bucks more, it might be worth it just to get the 256. It'll be a much better experience for him. Yeah, well, not only that, but I think... Um, as far as it lasting him throughout his high school years, it, that it, that would be a better choice. As well. I think so too, and that's how much. That's nine ninety nine. So, guy, does your old machine bucks. have FireWire? Uh, the the G four. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Plus, okay. plus, I've got a PCI FireWire card in it. So, because so, once we're talking about migrating, um, when I bought my new my new machine, when I bought the new MacBook, there is no FireWire on it. And I must tell you that Apple has done some interesting stuff to get migration happening on machines that don't have FireWire, which seems to be a direction they're going here. Yeah. FireWire seems to be going away, I, which I think, I'm sad to see. I, I think that's going to have to be a topic that we need to get on the show maybe next week or the week after, yep. talk about the demise yep. of FireWire and what that means. Is FireWire it's, 800 a viable option? Is USB 2.0 good enough for most people? No. Um, well, can you can you uh, can you migrate with USB 2.0? No, no, it has to so be they do not migrate with USB. It either has so the new migration assistant either mounts a time machine backup drive, oh or God. it uses Wi-Fi, or it uses Ethernet. I got to tell and, you, the easiest way that I found to migrate if you don't have uh, FireWire guys is to simply do a full time machine backup. Plug right. the new machine in and just bring that information over from Time Machine. It works, well, and, it, and it will ask you right at the beginning. Well, the migration assistant now actually reads that, Tim. Yes. So when you get a new machine and it's got a newer operating system and newer applications, Time Machine is now – I mean, the migration assistant is smart enough not to overwrite the new apps. Exactly. With all the time and that's out. important because, oh, great, you know, I had uh, iLife 09. <laughs> now all of a sudden I'm back to 08 because I pulled it from Time Machine. And, yeah, absolutely. And that, and that was long in coming too. So it's, that's also a good reason to keep Time Machine backups, yep. not just because they're backups. But because they'll let you migrate easily. Yep. I, I that's, found that's got to be a lot slower, though. Well, sure, but I mean, what's the big hurry? So, like every machine I've ever migrated, guy, I start the migration assistant and walk I away. walk out of the room, and I usually come back two hours later to see it done. So it didn't really matter that it actually took the two hours. I agree, and and if you really want to uh, um, migrate, you don't have to use an actual um, time capsule guy. You can plug in an external. USB hard drive to it, right? And you can use that as your time machine backup, and it'll be just as fast as if you go FireWire. No, that's true. I mean, that's what was, I did with. Yeah, uh, just do a uh, you because yeah because you could use like carbon copy cloner or a super duper. No, no, no. Right. You can use right. yeah, you can. But I mean, if you plug in a, an external FireWire or USB hard drive to your computer, you could tell Time Machine to use that as the backup. So when you migrate to the new machine. You simply plug that external hard drive into your machine. Oh, to be your time machine backup. To, right. Yeah, and Remember, you will migrate from that. 
it's a time machine import, not just a external hard hard drive with an image on it. Right. You're it thinking of time machine as the time capsule of the the right. U.S. or the, uh, the the thing that Apple sells. It doesn't have to be that that box. It could be any FireWire hard drive, any USB hard drive. Oh sure, I use an external uh, FireWire one terabyte drive for my time machine backup on this Mac. Right. So if you so backed I, up your Mac, your son's G4 to that. And then migrated the new machine from that, it would be fine. It would well, be fast. See, but I had the same problem. My time machine was a FireWire drive. So uh, what I did is yeah. I just took the drive out, stuck it in a USB case, and yep. plugged it in, and it worked fine. Most of my you know, uh, most of my hard drives here that are FireWire also have USB 2.0 in there. So I think that's going to be important as well. If if you're sitting on a FireWire only external hard drive, you might want to think about getting a FireWire and USB external hard drive. They're not much more. And uh, it's going to be future proof for at least for a couple of years. Okay. Well, so one, one other one, one other thing that that we should talk about is depending on how old your previous Mac is, you may want to just do fresh installs of all your applications and everything. Uh, especially in, in the case where, with my son, this is this is a, a seven year old G four machine, and he and he eventually will be moving to a core two duo Intel iMac. Well, but yeah, but if you're talking about the Apple software like GarageBand and iPhoto, uh, what Owen was saying earlier was that Time Machine's intelligent enough now to not overwrite the newer version of that software with the old okay. crap that you backed up from Time Machine. But does so it- one, one more thing I'll mention quickly here because there might be some people migrating from PCs to Mac. Uh, I'm working on a review. I'm working on a review right now to do uh, Fusion versus Parallels and talk about how they work. And today you can now migrate almost all your applications from your PC right onto your Mac. They just run like regular applications, and you can be on a Mac and still have all that PC stuff hanging around. Yep. Yeah, uh, and, you, I, and I, that, uh, that review is coming soon. What, what were you going to say there, guy, before we wrap up here? I don't even know anymore. Don't even know. I had a Florida <laughs> moment. Well, this has I'm been sorry. show uh, 233 of the MyMac.com podcast. We'd appreciate any feedback. Simply send Love email it. to feedback at MyMac.com, and uh, we'll disperse it through all the different hosts. Uh, feedback is really important for us. It lets us know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and more importantly, what should we be talking about. I do have some uh, uh, email that I need to go through still and that we want to share on the show. And we'll probably do that next week on show 234. Uh, I know. The first segment. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's one of those things that sometimes we have a very tight schedule and I don't get to the feedback often enough. Um, and, of course, next week I'm going to be talking about a big Macworld Expo article. Uh, by the time you guys listen to this, I don't know if it will be online yet or not, but it should be interesting nonetheless. So for uh, Owen and Guy and Nemo and, geez, who else did we have? We had uh, David Cohen Rick. and we had Rick from FileMaker. So for all those guys, we want to thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for downloading and listening to the MyMac.com podcast. 